We all have social debts that we're supposed to pay, whether it's spending money to go to your BFF's bachelorette or buying Girl Scout cookies from your coworker's daughter. We're all expected to conform to small social niceties to get along in society. Sign that sympathy card for the PTA president and chip in for flowers. Sometimes social debt is less about the money and more about time. We're supposed to reciprocate favors, make time for people in our lives. If I committed to it, I could attend a family event every single week of the year. That might not cost me a lot of money, but I'd get burned out really fast. Today, we're going to talk about social debt, what it is, and is it really all about the money? Let's dive in. Welcome to It Doesn't Make Sense, where even when you're doing money wrong, you're still doing it right. Season one is all about digging into debt. Is it a moral failing or can some debt actually be a tool for a better life? We're going to cover all the angles. So Marina, just what is social debt anyways? I know there's a lot of different definitions floating around. So before we even get into the nitty gritty of this episode, let's define this for the listeners. Social debt is about the things we're supposed to do in society. These social norms that we see when it comes to social debt, kind of building up this ledger includes like gift giving in different situations or participating in workplace events and chipping in for birthdays and other celebrations. It might even include pressure to buy items to support efforts of coworkers and acquaintances, such as signing up to give them money for a charity fun run or buying those Girl Scout cookies. All of that is considered social debt. We will link to this in the show notes. It's a great Washington Post article that describes a little bit more about social debt and, and the idea of what it really entails. I'm going to quote something really quickly here. Quote, getting so that the guests who now hand each over a bottle of wine as entrance fees to a dinner party almost seem quaint for having gone out and bought something. Perhaps we would soon be looking back at that with wonder at the trouble to which people would go in actually stopping by a liquor store. And the days before guests took to pulling out their wallets at the end of a party and asking their hosts what they owed. But we're not quite there yet. You could empty out your bank account and still not be socially quits. Here's what Miss Manners finds on the debit sheet. After having enjoyed someone's hospitality, you owe that person return hospitality. And in the case of dinner parties and overnight stays, written expressions of thanks. Bringing wine or any other little present is fine, although not required for dinners. It is customary for overnight visits, but even presents and letters do not cancel the obligation to reciprocate. End quote. So shall we talk a little about this? Have we seen social debt in our lives? Do we want to get ranty? What do we want to do, Miranda? <laughs> well, I mean, I really think that the part of this is it, it, it takes time and effort and money, right? She talks about in that quote, stopping off at the liquor store to bring a bottle of wine to dinner. And I'm fortunate enough that I just have plenty of wine just sitting around so it doesn't take extra effort. But there are lots of these things that we are required to do. If we go to dinner, we're supposed to send a thank you note. I still th send thank you notes when I, you know, for presents that I receive. Even if I'm exchanging gifts and somebody gives me a gift and I give them a gift for Christmas, to some degree, especially some of us who are like a little bit older, we're expected to send a thank you note, like actually sit down down and write one and put it in the mail and send it off. 
And I also think about it in terms of I keep a running list of, okay, who has sent me Christmas cards? And did I get them this year? Did I forget them? Okay, I got to make a note of that because next year I need to make sure that they get a Christmas card for me. So it's this idea of, okay, so somebody sent me something I owe them. It's like building up this debt where we owe somebody for these social interactions. It does. It starts to get a little bit frustrating sometimes. It's almost like these written or unwritten rules or fake rules, I like to call them in general, about sort of etiquette in terms of like what to do. And so I'm thinking about even being invited for weddings. I've had many conversations with different people in my life who decide not to go to certain weddings simply because they don't feel like buying a gift or want to get a gift. I had a conversation with a relative a few months ago about a wedding that they were invited to and I was invited to as well. And the bride and groom explicitly said like, no gifts, we do not want gifts. Your presence is your present. And it threw this person off. They were like, what do you mean you don't have to buy presents? It was it was a very interesting conversation. And I know I even have these biases too, where I think it's quite subconscious when there are certain sort of rules and etiquette around different types of social debt. I'm even thinking, and only because Lunar New Year is so, it's about a week away at the time of this recording. And so there's a lot of different types of etiquette that you adhere to, it, like traditionally, if you were to really follow all them. So like the first day of New Year, you're not supposed to eat certain types of foods, right? You go to visit you're the relatives on your husband's side of the family. Then you go to the mother's side of the family on the second day. So there's all of these things like these gifts that you bring. If you are a married couple, you are almost expected to have red envelopes filled with money and there's amounts that you can and cannot put in them. So like there's certain numbers that are lucky and not. Miranda's like, what's happening? No, 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 so no. Because, well, when I was in China last summer, one of the things that we did, my friend, we went with my friend who was going to be the best man at this, this wedding in China. So me and this other guy who know nothing, we knew that we needed to get a red envelope. We needed this stuff. So we went to the store, got the red envelope. And then we were like, oh, no, what's a good amount to put in? So then we had to text him, the guy that, who's going to be at the wedding. He was off doing wedding things. And we texted him. We're like, hey, you know, we're going to meet you at the wedding. We did get the red envelope. We are filling it with some uh, yuan. How much is like appropriate for this? We wanted to make sure, like, how much is appropriate? And he was just like, yeah, you cannot put in odd numbers. You cannot do that. Like, it was just like this whole list of things. We're like, OK. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Go on. So it's just. It's really interesting. And I this brings me back to when I got married in Hong Kong was I think I had this conversation with with a friend there and we were just talking about like the amounts, right? Like you, you give more when you're relative. Who do you give it to? And, and all of these things. So that's really an example of how different cultures can have different types of, of etiquette. And now the fact that I'm like tasked, so to speak, to giving money on Lunar Year to people who are younger than me and not married. I mean, my son, obviously, he's going to get money. That, that's not an obligation, so to speak. But it's it's interesting if I'm going out to dim sum with friends and family and they have children, it's almost like, oh, here's a red envelope. I don't want to criticize the practice. Like I remember loving getting money when I was a kid. And it's really a celebration. So think about it, like, I, I guess in the sort of it's as big as Christmas for many countries. So think of it like that. But it is interesting how if, if you maybe cannot afford it, you're sort of, lack of a better term, like sick and tired of like buying all this stuff. How do you navigate all that? So that's just one example. Um, again, pressure from coworkers, even like donating to, let's say, you, um, Miranda, you're running like a 5K 
and you're asking people to donate money to you running this 5K, that, that's a type of social debt too, where it's like, you almost don't want to say no because you feel like, if I say no, I'm going to look like a bad friend or a bad coworker or a bad person. And so all of the examples that we just talked about, no matter if it's how much money to put in red envelope for a Chinese wedding or whether you donate to Miranda's 5K that she may or may not be running <laughs> in the near future, she's shaking her head no. All of it takes money. And not only that, it does take time and effort. There's a lot of emotional labor that goes into a lot of these etiquette that you air quote have to follow. And it can be frustrating. We do have a clip from my friend Linji from Worst Asian Pod talking a little bit about the cost and how he actually personally feels about social debt. I personally do agree that it very often is a bit of a nuisance. The gifts and these minor things do add up a lot in total in terms of a financial cost to you, the giver. And at the same time, there is a time investment required to you know go out there and shop for things just to be able to give to people. So although I personally agree that it is a bit of a nuisance, I still follow the social norms of giving gifts in those situations because I do believe in order to operate within society and just to be a good citizen amongst all the people that you want to interact with, it is one of those things that you kind of have to bite your tongue down and just do it. Now, if we could all simultaneously agree to stop doing it, you know, you know, snap our fingers in a hypothetical situation, yes, that would make sense. We could all stop doing it, but we don't do that, right? We're all constantly trying to reciprocate gifts to people because they've given us a gift, let's say, in a situation very similar in the past. So we don't want to now look bad having remembered that they, they've done something nice for us. It's one of those self-fulfilling prophecies. You're constantly going in a circle and no one's really going to stop, right? And another further point, uh, for me personally, I am Chinese American. So we have this idea of saving face or keeping face where you don't want to look bad or don't want to do something negative that makes you look bad. And that is for you individually and also for you, your family unit as well. So my actions personally, if I don't give someone a gift in a situation, doesn't just make me look bad. I mean, it makes me and my entire family unit look bad as well. I would like to kind of talk about some of those costs that we end up with from social debt. What are, what are some of these costs that we end up with? Like, for instance, it can cost up to $2,000 just to be a bridesmaid. It's wild. You have to buy a dress. You have to be prepared to travel to the wedding and pay those costs. There's a lot that goes into being a bridesmaid and it can be very costly. I also wonder too, if being a maid of honor, I wonder if the costs goes up with that. Are there other duties or expectations? Miranda, I don't know if you know this, like are there different expectations from a maid of honor that may or may not require them to spend more money? Yeah. So like in general, a maid of honor, as far as I understand, is, you know, in charge of like the bachelorette party and getting all that done. So yeah, there could be additional costs involved if you need a deposit because you're renting a place or you're making reservations or something. That could be something as well. And, you know, just attending just attending a wedding, right, when people have like a destination wedding or these other kinds of things, the idea that you have to attend it or if you're not going to the destination wedding, do you need to send a gift anyway, even though you're not going to the destination wedding? Should you send a gift? Like there's just a lot of stuff that goes into into weddings. I, I do want to take a moment to talk about baby showers. I have nothing against baby showers. I think they're awesome. It's a way to like get together with your friends or family if you're having a baby or if someone you know is having a baby and to go. And it's, I, I personally am happy to give a gift to the parent-to-be because it is something that's genuinely helpful. So for me, that social debt is is fine. 
What I will say about baby showers and maybe societal expectations is I remember when I was pregnant, everybody was obsessed with finding out the gender of the baby. I wanted it to be a surprise. My husband wanted it to be a surprise. We were not interested at all finding out until the baby was born. And yet people were obsessed to the point where we gave in and decided to find out. And I don't know, I wonder if because people or society in general are so obsessed with gender, like what the gender of the babies, and I'm using this just because of the term gender reveal, that parents or people who host baby showers are now tacking on this extra quote unquote event as to like what the gender of the baby is. Like, do you use balloons? Do you have like alligators? That is a real thing. I will find an article linked to it. Do you have a cake in the middle? Like you cut it and the M&Ms come out. Like, what is it? That's like an extra cost. Is that something that necessarily people want to do? Or is it partially because of that pressure to know what the baby's going to be before the baby's born? Anyways, end rant. Let's move on. Miranda, do you remember? This was when I was a kid. And I think they may still have it now for schools is where you come home with this catalog and you're trying to raise money for the school. But inside there's like wrapping paper samples. So I remember always wanting to sell the more expensive one. My mother would go around to her friends and ask if they would buy wrapping paper. And back then I thought it was so cool that people would buy things for me and I could raise money. But now that I think about it, I'm like, oh gosh, first of all, do you need that much wrapping paper? <laughs> Number two, are these people buying it because they don't want to offend my mom or not feel like that they were being good friend by not buying something like that? And I know my son has a lot of fundraising events. Then he comes home with little notes and I could certainly go to my mother-in-law or my mother or whoever else. But I look at it and I personally don't want to do it. I'd rather just donate the money or whatever the school needs or as much as possible anyways, rather than feel more for me anyways, that discomfort of being like, hey, do you want to buy a box of chocolates to raise I don't know, $5 for my son's school? The thing that's interesting to me is that many schools now are just straight up just asking for money instead of selling things. There were some fundraisers I've seen in the past where it's like ice cream bars or cookies or whatever or chocolates. We did that in band. We did a whole thing where we did chocolates for Valentine's Day. And same kind of thing, right? It's that social debt. And now my nephew's charter school, like I donate about $100 for each of them per year. So that's $200 to help them reach their goals, right? Because that's the other thing. It's like if you don't reach your fundraising goal, you know, the goal that they set you in the school, then then you feel bad. And, you know, they do all these competition things. And so that becomes another form of social debt where you go around to your family members and friends and be like, help my kid not feel bad because they didn't raise enough money. And honestly, you know, I'm, I'm about to set up a GoFundMe for my niece to go on an experience. And yeah, I'll be using that guilt to reach out to my friends and be like, can you kick in 25 bucks to help the daughter of a single mother go to Japan? And we all do it, right, to a certain extent, because that's how our society is set up, that we kind of reach out to the people that we know. Uh, the worst, though, let me tell you, I have bought so many things from my friends who are at MLM because I feel bad. Do I believe in these supplements? No. Did I buy some anyway? Yes. Instead of telling them that they're in an MLM and to stop, I went ahead and bought some cleaning supplies. It's fine. Oh my gosh, you just opened a whole can of worms. I will share this story because I knock on what hope the people that I'm talking about probably won't listen to this. Yeah, if you know me and you're in an MLM, just ignore this whole part. 
I'm not going to reveal the people that I'm talking about, obviously. This this is no shade to people who have joined MLM. Anyways, here's the story. So I was visiting some family and I got invited to this quote unquote party. And I was like, okay, well, I don't really know anybody, but, you know, I'm invited. Let's let's be nice about it. Let's go. And it's a night out away from my son, you know, get a nice break. Turns out, so it's not a Tupperware party. It was a costume jewelry party. But the company didn't advertise it as costume jewelry. It advertised it as jewelry. And so we were there. We got food. We sat around. And then, of course, somebody started talking about the backstory of this MLM and blah, blah, blah. And so they passed around a catalog. And I remember being really uncomfortable. Everybody around me didn't bat an eye picking out one or two pieces of jewelry to purchase. And so I really felt the pressure to buy something. And I was like, you know what? To keep the peace, I will buy something small. Like $20 to me is worth just spending to not feel this discomfort because of the people that I knew there and it would get back around to other people. So I started looking at the catalog. To me, the jewelry looked like plastic. It was cheap, like not in a good way, cheap. So anyways, I looked the cheapest pair of earrings was $75. And I was like, okay, let me look for some necklaces. I was really into pearl necklaces at the time. This was quite a few years ago. And so I'm like, let me buy a pearl necklace. I wear these all the time. So I'm not really going to be, you know, quote, unquote, wasting money if I, if I buy something in a similar style that I like. And the necklaces, I, again, thought were like plastic. I got to see a sample was like $50. And for me, I was like, this is not worth it to buy. Because the price and what I got didn't feel right to me. So again, everybody went around and said what they wanted. I was honestly the last person they went to. And I was like, no, thank you. And it was the most awkward silence ever. Like everybody just stared at me. It did not help the fact that I was the only non-white person in that room. So it was already awkward. And the people that came with me to the party felt so uncomfortable. I don't know if it was on my behalf or they felt uncomfortable because there was like almost an expectation that I was to purchase something. So I remember we drove back and never spoke of this incident ever again. But I guess the good news is I never got invited to one of these parties ever again. Yeah. And that's the thing. You go to these parties, you're looking and that's part of the social debt too. You've been invited to the party. They provided some snacks. And in return, you are supposed to buy a children's book or some jewelry or some sort of lube. Yes, I've been to Pure Romance. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I have been to a Pure Romance party and you you haven't experienced discomfort until you've watched a 50-year-old woman explaining sex toys to you at a Pure Romance party. And then have everybody go around and talk about the fun thing they're most excited about. I just bought some little sparkly lotion and moved on with my life. I feel like that needs to be a t-shirt. I just bought some sparkly lotion and moved on with my life. Okay, we're going to set up a merch store. <laughs> but I think the real point here, though, is that over time, these costs add up and you end up spending money. It may be five bucks here. It may be $10 there. It might be $75 for a piece of plastic jewelry. But whatever it is, over time, all of these little things start adding up. And if you were to add up all of this cost of social debt throughout the year, it could be hundreds of dollars. Yes, this is a finance podcast, but we do want to talk about the fact that social debt is not just about the money. The idea of social debt is technically built on the concept of reciprocity. I want to share this clip from Rob Phelan, who talks about reciprocity, how it 
feeds into the social debt and these ideas around it. Robert Cialdini and his work on influence and persuasion, it's called the reciprocity principle. And this is the one where if someone gives something to us first, we feel obligated to give them something back. And when we talk about the culture that we live in and how it's going to impact our finances from things like uh, holidays, particularly Christmas, and our expectations around gift giving, how much we should spend, who gets gifts, what kind of gift giving we do, to birthdays. You know, you have, I'm a parent, when one kid gets invited to a birthday party, now suddenly you've got 20 invitations coming back and everyone feels obligated to turn up and go and give a gift at each of these things. Dating, to talking to your friends, to meetups, to going over someone's house and being expected to bring a gift over when you go. There are so many ways that our culture has created the reciprocity principle. And one of the best ways I find to deal with that is to meet it head on and get ahead of it and just say, let's talk about the expectations here. Christmas is coming. Hey, why don't we do a cash limit on it? Or why don't we do something like a white elephant? Or let's pull names out of a hat and we'll do Secret Santa. Something that just keeps costs low, keeps the excitement high, and everyone is very clear on what the expectations are. One of the biggest things that comes with social debt is this reciprocity that Rob talks about because we feel the need to offer something similar to what others give us. If somebody gives us a $50 present for our birthday, we feel in debt to them. And there's this pressure to reciprocate with a present of the same amount later. But money's not the only thing. There are other factors in social debt, especially when it comes to attending events. So Sarah, do you have some examples of some of these social debt pressures that may not necessarily have to do directly with money? Yeah. So this one's fairly prevalent, I guess, in my life, just because I have a school-aged kid, is parents may be pressured to be a room parent at their kid's school. And so a room parent really is someone who volunteers. Maybe they assist the teacher in something. When I was a teacher, I've had parents come in when we had library days. And so the parents would go and help the kids check out books or get book recommendations. So things like that, even pressure to volunteer for field trips if they need extra chaperones. So that's one thing that I know can be pretty prevalent. You'll have this obligation to like have drinks with coworkers and that's going to cost money. You're going to have to pay for drinks. But maybe you don't feel like going out for a drink. You'd rather go home and spend time with your family. But Wednesday is drinks night with the coworkers. So you feel this obligation to go and spend time with your coworkers instead of going home. I used to see that back when I had a real job many years ago. It wasn't necessarily drinks. I lived in Utah. It would be like, oh, let's let's go out and, you know, go do this thing after work. It's sort of this like bonding experience with your coworkers. It's just like, oh, do I have to? <laughs> like, do I have to? I don't want to say I'm the expert on this. There's a lot of Asian countries where actually going out to drinks with coworkers is Sort of the expectation, almost a job description, so to speak. I believe in Japan, that's a huge thing where you go, you have team events, I guess, with your boss or you go out with your coworkers afterwards. In South Korea, I believe it's pretty prevalent. I'm not really sure if that's the case in China, but there are a lot of other countries where it is one of those where if you don't go, you may not seen as a team player, so to speak. And so that's another perspective to offer right here. Um, something else is expectation to attend family events and milestones. So we talk a little bit about baby showers, weddings, birthdays. Maybe you cannot afford to buy a birthday present every time your cousin has a kid. I, I don't know. Like, so I'm just just thinking about that. Like, do I have to show up with a present? Do I have to go? Those are all sort of things that you think about even prioritizing actually which events to go to it takes time in your brain. 
like this coming summer, we've got a family reunion and it's down in Utah. So it's like, okay, so I got to take two or three days to go down to this family reunion. Or every Sunday, we have Sunday dinner at my parents' house. Do I have to go every single week? And I've started not going every single week. I've started being like, okay, there's sometimes I don't have to go to this thing. In my culture where I live, we don't have to go to every baptism or baby blessing or missionary talk. There are all of these different things that people are like, oh, come see this graduation. You're expected to go because you've been invited to come. And even if you don't have to bring something that costs money, it can start to be overwhelming with all the time that you're spending. Let's say there's not even the expectation of gifts. Some events that I've been to, it's like a potluck. And so it's one of those where the attempt to, I guess, lower the cost for certain things there. And I, I'm not totally bashing on potlucks. I've had some amazing food there. They've been fun. But that's also something that does take time. It's like, what do I bring? Do I have to consider people's allergies? How many people are going? How much do I need to make? Is there a sign-up sheet? Oh gosh, there's a dish that someone's bringing that sounds similar to mine. So there's like a lot of, again, emotional labor that does go into events, even when they are designed to hopefully lessen the burden of that. Um, and yeah, taking the time to do some of this can be just as damaging as a cost. And if you are a people pleaser like me and you want to say yes to all the things, it could really lead to burnout. It could also take you away from other relationships and situations that you really prefer to spend your time on. And before we move on to the next point, I want to just stress that we're talking about social debt in terms of things that we may not want to do or feel pressure to do. There's a real benefit to reciprocity in a community setting. Like I have some wonderful neighbors that I've met as a result of lockdown and we help each other all the time. Like my neighbors love my son. Like they're they're always giving him presents because they just genuinely love him. They watch him when I need a babysitter every once in a while. We love their dogs. We've dog watched. Is that what it is? Watch their dogs uh, when they've been away on vacation. So it's a genuine appreciation of that community within our little neighborhood. And so to me, whenever they ask me to watch their dogs, like they just went away a couple of weeks ago, I was happy to say yes, because again, I enjoy their dog. That dog comes over every once in a while and actually will sit on her couch and my son will watch TV with him. It's really adorable. I just want to put that perspective is, is we're not saying like it's bad to be like reciprocal in, in favors or presents or things like that. But it's really if, if there's that pressure, that's where that social debt is really prevalent. I think that there is definitely something to be said about community building, mutual aid, that kind of reciprocity where you can trust people and you have each other's backs. Because I do. I have friends here in town. I'm single. I have a lot of single friends. We kind of take care of each other. When my friend was sick a couple weeks ago, I was like, hey, I can fill in for you. It was one of those trivia nights. It was his night to do trivia. He was feeling unwell. So I was like, yeah, I can fill in for you. So when I went to pick up the stuff, I also brought him some medicine. And at the same time, like if I need to switch with him on days because of my travel, he's willing to do that to make it easier on my travel schedule. And so being able to switch off like that and take care of each other is really important. I've had friends door dash me soup when I've been sick. We're not saying social debt is necessarily a bad thing, but it is something to keep in mind as we move forward and we think about the kinds of social debt we're willing to incur and how we want to discharge that. Before we move on to some of our guidelines or some options, maybe you can think about how to manage social debt in your life. I just want to go back to really reminding people that there are lots of ways that we keep score in communal relationships. So think about roommates or couples, about all the ways that you are doing chores or not doing chores, different arguments. I mean, I know I've done this in the past, I love you, husband, where we have sort of bickering 
maybe we're both tired and I'll bring up something that happened like a year ago. Right. So it's, it's almost like I'm keeping score of like, you didn't take the garbage out on February 5th when I asked you to and I had to do it myself, something like that. Right. That, that is keeping score. And all this keeping score really implies that we think people owe us something or people that we are in relationship believe that we owe them something. That's a really good point, because part of this social debt can kind of start to feel like keeping score, keeping track of like, okay, who signed the card for me when my grandpa died? Okay, who signed the card for me? I'm going to keep track of those names. I mean, I don't actually do that. I don't actually keep track of the names. But that's kind of part of it too, right? Where we kind of start saying like, okay, who did this? Who helped me here? And then, you know, do I make that contingent on whether I help somebody else later? So it's really kind of interesting the way we kind of tend to keep score. And like I have in the past been like, okay, I gave you a really great back rub. So now I want you to give me a foot rub. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know. Was this at that MLM party that you went to, Miranda? My goodness. <laughs> if only. Was it just sparkly lotion? I don't know, Miranda. Somebody's <laughs> got to get it on there. Anyway. <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about like, how do we manage this then? Because we're talking about social debt. We're talking about how we get into this social debt. How do we manage it and how do we keep those costs down? The truth is it might not be practical to completely opt out depending on your situation. So again, Lunar New Year is just very top of mind for me. There are quite a few things that I cannot opt out of, not because I don't want to, but because it is for the sake of keeping the peace. Part of it I like to keep some of these traditions. Some of these are, uh, I have some relatives that are quite old and I know that maybe in the next couple of years, it may not be possible to see them. So I, I want to make that effort. So it really depends on your situation. And if it's not possible, it's really important to think about things that you can opt out without like severe consequence, whatever, however you want to interpret that, or things that you can opt out of where it might feel uncomfortable, but it's going to be okay. And part of that is definitely setting some boundaries as well. And that's super important when it comes to your time. I know that in the past, I used to have people would be like, oh, hey, you're just sitting at home all day. So you can do this, that or the other thing. Sometimes it's like, okay, it's an emergency. I am happy to drop everything and help out. But if it's just something that you think I should be doing for you because I don't have a real job, then no, we're going to set some boundaries here. And especially when it comes to my time. And I think that's one of the big things to think about too is, okay, what can I opt out of without having huge consequences? Can I talk to other people about changing how we handle certain things? Several years ago, we decided as a family, like I brought it up, I was like, hey, like it is not practical to have presents for all of the cousins. It's just getting it's just getting out of hand for Christmas. And so we instituted an exchange where we draw names out of a hat and we just do that. We used to have the white elephant exchange all the time. It was very annoying. Everybody hated it, but we were doing it anyway. And so we just brought it up and we're like, hey, why don't we just change how we do this? And so I think depending on what it is, you can also bring up those conversations and talk to other people and say like, wait a sec, why are we all doing this thing that we hate? You bring up a really good point because I was thinking when you were saying about the word boundaries, it's a very commonly misunderstood term. I think of boundaries as a rule book of sorts, as a guideline for everybody to follow that benefits everybody. And so thinking about the white elephant, if everybody hated it, the boundary could be, can we negotiate something else where we don't do this, but we do something else and then it benefits other people. Boundaries could be, so I am a stickler for bedtime just because I like my eight, nine hours of sleep. That's a, that's a pretty big non-negotiable for me. And so I make sure that if I'm going out, 
if I'm meeting someone the next day, I make sure that I have things in place a day after, a day before, where I can make sure that I can sleep the full eight or nine hours or at least find some way to rest. It could mean saying no to some events depending on what has been lined up. Just because sleep is important for me, it's it's part of my health regimen, so to speak. That's not really, I think, a negative thing because if I show up to somewhere and I don't want to be there or if I'm tired and the other person isn't really feeling like I'm wanting to be there, that could have you know negative consequences for our relationship as well. So that's one of the boundaries that I really, really institute. And Miranda also sort of alluded to this with her example, but really depending on your circumstances, you can consider talking to others about changing how you handle certain things. I'm thinking about coworkers. I know in the past when I worked at schools, there were a lot of donation sign-up sheets or sign-up sheets for people to sign up to buy different birthday presents for different coworkers at certain times of the year. And so we did negotiate it to where we actually didn't do that anymore. We'd just be like, hey, it's this person's birthday. We are going to go to this bar after work. You can come show up and buy this person a drink or just show up, if not totally cool. And people were fine with that. It really was a no pressure kind of event that you can show up to, a very informal event. And so that took a lot of pressure off people feeling like they had to put money towards a gift all the time. Yeah, and I think part of it, too, is just you don't have to keep score about stuff and everything, but really do think about what arrangements are happening. Do these arrangements work for you? And is there a way for you to maybe change things up a little bit and save more money and time and energy and sanity? I'm thinking Christmas cards. I have a running list of people that I love to send Christmas cards to. And if people send me Christmas cards that are not on that list, I don't feel obligated that I have to send that person back a card if I don't really want to. Same with Lunar New Year cards. I'm very forgetful. If I forget to send one, or again, if I didn't buy enough cards and I just was like, oh, this person, I talk to them all the time. Why do I need to send them a card? I don't want to feel like I'm obligated to. And it doesn't mean that I don't like that person less. It just means that I ran out of cards. <laughs> and it, it's really just then shifting my mindset into thinking like, what does this mean if I do or don't do something? Is it going to be super detrimental or it is just feelings of discomfort that I'm trying to run away from? That's a really good point to take a step back and really think about how are we dealing with this? And are we making a big deal of something that doesn't need to be made a big deal of? I remember how hard it was. The first time I was like, you know, I am not coming to Sunday dinner every week. And I just fretted and fretted about telling my mom that I wasn't coming that week. And in the end, it was turned out to be not a big deal. I think sometimes we, we overthink this stuff and it's important to take a step back and not overthink it. So Miranda, what are the takeaways for this episode? Social debt is all around us and part of how we interact in society. However, it can be time consuming and expensive. So it's important to carefully consider what social debts you want to pay. And you may have to pay more than you want to, but you might feel it's necessary for other reasons to maybe keep the peace. So one of the ways to get started thinking about social debt and what you're willing and not willing to do is to really look at your circumstances and priorities and then start setting boundaries or guidelines in terms of how you're going to say yes or no, or maybe ask for a compromise, so to speak. Something to think about is really understanding, is it easier to keep the peace for certain things? Are you willing to just say, like, suck it up because it's easier, it's what somebody really wants and you want to make them happy? Or is your priority like me getting eight to nine hours of sleep and you're going to say no to certain things? So to get you thinking more about this and social debt, we have a great resource from Clever Girl Finance about setting financial boundaries. So in terms of what you're willing and not willing to spend and on what things. 
Thank you so much for everyone for listening. That is it for this episode. We always appreciate it if you like this episode to share with your friends or if they listen or they can go to itdoesntmakesense.com. So Miranda, what is going on for the next episode? We are wrapping up this season. The season has been all about debt and we are wrapping it up next week. We are going to talk about debt and privilege as well as share some stories from our friends about how they use debt as a tool in their financial toolboxes. Thanks for joining us on It Doesn't Make Sense. The best way to support our nuanced approach to money is to share it with a friend. Subscribe to It Doesn't Make Sense on whatever podcast player you use. For resources and show notes, head to itdoesntmakesense.com. We also accept appreciation in the form of a refreshing beverage via Ko-Fi or coffee, whatever. We don't care. We'll drink it. Just head to ko-fi.com slash it doesn't make sense, no apostrophe, and provide us with a fortifying drink.